Greetings and salutations. You're listening to This Ends at Prom, a podcast where I, teen movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife, Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy. Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood? Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses warped your perspective? Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen? Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to This Ends at Prom. This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. Hello there, prom party. Hello! That was beautiful. Thank you. I'm okay sometimes. Welcome to the first installment of Musical Month. Oh, God. it's. I still don't know if that's a good or a bad pun name for this, but I'm proud of it either way. I mean, we're using it, so I, clearly I it's doing something. It doesn't mean it's a good thing. <laughs> we are so excited for you to join us on our our inaugural episode for this trend. I don't know if you all know this about me, but I love musicals. You super love musicals. I have a more spotty fandom of musicals than you. My opinion is that I just haven't shown you enough musicals, but the ones that I have shown you, I like to think you enjoy. For the most part. I think we've only done like one proper musical so far, and that was The Prom, so... Well, that one didn't count because <laughs> a, we both that went was into a mistake. that blind. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a mistake. Truly one of my biggest regrets of the podcast is giving that a maybe by virtue that it's not rent. <laughs> like, it did not deserve that. <laughs> I retroactively give that a no. <laughs> yeah, so for whoever is keeping tabs at home of the things that Harmony said yes or no to, uh, retract the maybe. It's a no. <laughs> But one of the reasons that we wanted to do a month of musicals is because just like teen cinema and horror movies and everything else that I hold near and dear to my heart, Mm -hmm. musicals are also a form of dismissed cinema. There are plenty of people who just can't get into it or they dismiss it because they just randomly started singing. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, we watch movies with talking animals and people who can fly. Just grow up. It's fine. Nothing's real in movies. It's all fiction. That's how it works. Right. <laughs> it's like the same argument people are like, oh, wrestling isn't real. Yeah, yeah, no shit. We know Lord that. Lord of the Rings isn't real. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> for real, though. And we decided for this month that the movies that we're talking about are not just strictly stage musicals turned into movies, but instead the vast world of the type of movies that can fall under the musical umbrella. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, Rock and Roll High School is also a musical, sort of. This is very true. It's more of like a beach movie, which is like a music movie than Mm -hmm. a musical. Mm -hmm. But we're we're running a little bit of a gambit as far as like the various things we're covering this month. I think we, uh, we picked a hell of a movie to start with, huh? We totally did, and I am very excited that I got to introduce you to this movie because I have, you know, a variety of feelings around this title. You have a lot of history with various aspects <laughs> of this title. 
Yeah, 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 I do. So to kick things off for the very first This Ends at Prom May Musical Month, we are talking about 2012's Pitch Perfect. All right, ladies, it's now or never. Hands in! One, two, four! Yeah, yeah, we are. (laughs) (laughs) So, Harmony, for those at home, what was your knowledge, understanding, introduction, anything to do with Pitch Perfect? I knew it was a thing. Okay. Um, I saw trailers okay. and stuff. Like, I was out of high school, so this was like 2012. I wasn't really interacting with a lot of people at mm-hmm. the time. Most of my interactions were like people online who were usually twice my age talking about music that was coincidentally covered in Pitch Perfect, <laughs> but they also had a negative opinion of this as well as similar sort of mm-hmm. stuff, like Glee as an example. So, yeah, we were just like, no, I'm not going to watch this. I'm too good for this. Like, that was pretty much as best as I got. <laughs> All right. Understandable. Understandable. Well, for those who have somehow missed this just... Like me? Cultural juggernaut. <laughs> going over to our friends at Fandango, our friendangos. This is their synopsis of Pitch Perfect. Oh, God, I'm scared. College student Becca, Anna Kendrick, knows she does not want to be part of a clique, but that's exactly where she finds herself after arriving at her new school. Thrust in among mean gals, nice gals, and just plain weird gals, Becca finds that the only thing they have in common is how well they sing together. She takes the women of the group out of their comfort zone of traditional arrangements and into a world of amazing harmonic combinations in a fight to the top of college music competition. Yeah. That's a pretty good that's, one for them. That's about right. Sure. Pretty, pretty stoked on that. But what I would love to know is since this is something you missed, uh-huh. can you give a little insight as to what was going on culturally in 2012? Yes, I can. So... Starting with our cultural look back prior to diving into the films, I want to start sort of focusing them a little bit more. Okay. Which means we're going to sort of focus on maybe similar aspects of stuff that was floating around. And uh, as I already mentioned, there was truly no bigger cultural juggernaut in television and dominating the music charts than Glee at the time. There is absolutely no way in hell that Pitch Perfect would have been greenlit had it not been for the success of Glee. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. Glee is the gateway drug to this movie. Yeah, that's the high school version of this movie. This is now the college version of Glee. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But if you look at Glee in like 2010, 2011, they had some 50 to 80 songs charting over the course of the year. Mm -hmm. Up until a couple years ago when they were surpassed by... Drake, Glee had the record for most entries of any musical group on like the charts, period. Which is banana cakes. I mean, it makes sense. They don't really have to write their own songs. They just had to keep popping them out. By season four, uh, which would have been 2012 around the time that this was released, Glee was putting out their 12th and 13th album. That is like... That is some, like, now that's what I call music kids bop levels of ridiculousness. Oh, yeah. There was absolutely no stopping. It was just a nonstop stream of Glee music. Oh, my gosh. Uh, I believe I looked at a statistic, and Glee has, like, 120 episodes Mm -hmm. and released over 700 pieces of music. Yeah. So much. And here's the thing, though, and I'm going to say this. I'm going to go on record if people want to clip this and be like, ha-ha, here's what she thinks. I stand by my words. Some of those Glee covers fucking slap. 
I've heard them. I think they're fine. Some of them are incredibly good, and I will give respect where it is deserved. And I'm sure that out of 700 renditions, some of them are bound to be good. <laughs> okay, good point. Yes. So Glee actually at this point in 2012, like towards the end of 2012, when Pitch Perfect was released, Glee was actually on kind of winding down. Mm-hmm. And that show really ends with a whimper in terms of like ratings compared to like how big it was at the start of its run for like season one and two. Sounds like every single Ryan Murphy property. I will take your word for it. I watched (laughs) two seasons of American Horror Story and cringed at you watching other ones. (laughs) So that's sort of where we're looking at, like, the closest contemporary to what Pitch Perfect is offering. However, there are other teen films getting released in, like, the fall season of 2012. Some of them include Spring Breakers. Hell yeah, Spring Breakers for life. Released in September, though. That is a very odd choice for that to go. That feels like that's a summer movie. Yeah, for real. A movie that I know uh, that you love called Excision. Oh my God, I love Excision so much. That is a horror movie and it is wild as hell. Highly recommend it. Go check it out, friends. Yes. Perks of Being a Wallflower was actually released the week before this. Okay, so we've got something for our intellectual youth. I'm not really a fan of that movie. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Plenty of weird stuff that's not related to this. And probably my favorite movie that was released that has absolutely nothing to do with this, Bait 3D. Oh, Bait 3D. (laughs) I just really like, it's one of my, okay, for anybody who doesn't know this, because how often am I going to get to talk about this unless we eventually do Soul Surfer? (laughs) Sharks are one of my favorite, like, subgenres of a subgenre, and most of these movies are terrible. Mm -hmm. But hey, Bait's a movie about sharks, like, invading a grocery store. And it's not nearly as silly as it sounds, but it's still really fun. It floods. It makes sense how they got into the grocery store. Yes, but there's sharks in a grocery store. Yeah. <laughs> so sure, why not? It, bait's fantastic. I just felt like sharing that. <laughs> yeah, that's a great choice. I love that. Thank you. And just like looking at the music that was coming out at this time, I have to say this 2012 feels like it may have been one of the last really good years for consistent, fun pop music because mm-hmm. pop music's gotten so much sadder. Oh, yeah, we definitely have a lot of, like, mellow, sad boy rock and sad girl music, for yeah. sure. Yeah, you can probably attribute that mostly to someone like Lord or, you know, Lana, Lana Del, Del Rey, Rey, then, who, you know, basically bit Lord's style off entirely. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, oh, God, like, some of the fun songs that were coming out in 2012, the week this was released, included Gangnam Style. Oh, goodness. At number two. <laughs> some Nights by Fun. Good Time by Owl City and Carly Rae Jepsen, who also reappears here a little bit lower for Call Me Maybe, because that just mm-hmm. would not stop. Mm-hmm. Lights by Ellie Goulding. Everybody Talks by Neon Trees. Like, this was a fun time for pop music. It's not even the summer anymore. Something that I do every year is I look at the the top 25 mashup that DJ Earworm makes. Oh, those his, are so much fun. His United States of Pop. And you can always tell how good the music was for the year, depending on that mashup. Like, if the mashup feels very forced and weak, it's because there's not, like, a lot of great stuff to choose from. Mm -hmm. But 2012, like, 2008 is the best that he's ever done Mm -hmm. because that was a a banger year for pop music. But I remember 2012's being really fun and really good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like if I looked back at all of the pop music that was 
coming out for probably the last decade, you know, there's going to be fun stuff, but like consistently it's so mm-hmm. much more dour. Yeah. And like, I get it. The world sucks, especially since 2016. Oh, I yeah. get it. <laughs> I'm mu- just saying. Our music has been a direct reflection of what's going on and no one is down to party right now. No, not at all. It's really hard to have party rock in the house tonight when there's fascists. Right. Yeah. I did not appreciate LMFAO enough at the time because I thought they were really dumb, but they knew they were dumb. And like, I respect them so much more now in hindsight. I was too mean to LMFAO. Same though. Like, I loved LMFAO, but I did not take them seriously. And I needed to put some respect on their name because their music's fucking fun. Right. <laughs> uh, speaking of fucking fun, let's talk about Pitch Perfect. <laughs> All right, let's 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 dive into Pitch Perfect. So starting off, we do have our protagonist. We have Becca played by Anna Kendrick. And at this point, Anna Kendrick is known for, I think, a lot more of side roles, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Like, at like least what for, had she done before this? Yeah, at least for teen audiences. So she's, you know, in Twilight. She's Scott Pilgrim's sister. Like, she's not really had this huge blow-up performance yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but then she also did movies like Up in the Air, which is an, like an Oscar movie that I think she's fantastic in. But like teens are not going to go out and see that. That's just not a thing that's going to happen. Um, so for me, I think this is sort of where Anna Kendrick really becomes the cultural like juggernaut that she is today, is, is through this movie. So let's talk about Becca. Uh, how do you feel about Becca. I think Becca is difficult. Mm-hmm. Cause she is really making every concerted effort to be unlikable to everyone around her at the start of this movie. Mm-hmm. And I get why she is, because she doesn't want to be there. Mm-hmm. She doesn't want to be at college, but her dad's like a professor or something, I guess. Yeah, he's a professor. Yeah, and it's like, oh, well, you have to go to school if you want to like go gallivant to the other end of the country and go be like a music producer or whatever it is she wants to do. Mm-hmm. And I don't get me wrong, she seems to make some okay mashups, but like she's no girl talk. Well, no one is girl talk. God, I miss girl talk. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, she's she's fine. Like, this is where you start. You just find basic things and you mash them together. And I, I like me a good mashup. I like me some crocodile chop, as it were. I think it's or also... Or the, uh, the pony, I believe, in a thing called love mashup that includes a Macho Man Randy Savage rap in the middle. Like, oh, my God. That mashup is so good. I like a good mashup. So, like, yes, please. I also think that it's really important to note that Becca as a character is a freshman in college. Oh, yeah. And freshman in college is such a weird time for anyone because senior year of high school, I think people start to finally feel a little bit more confident in themselves. You're at the top of kind of like that social hierarchy Mm -hmm. in, in your school. And then you get thrown into college where you're back at the bottom, number one. Mm -hmm. But there's something exciting about you being fresh and new Because at college. you are around people who aren't the same people who have known you for 10 years? Yes. And at the same time, that's what's also going on is you're meeting new people. You're out of the for, – for, you know, most people, you're out of that comfortable safety blanket of your hometown. Mm-hmm. And now you really have the chance to figure out who you are, like what you want to do, what's going on in your life because – you you don't have that parental supervision going on. You don't have the status quo that you've been subconsciously maintaining your entire life because yes. of where you are from. But Becca already knows like what she wants to work towards in her life. 
and she doesn't get freedom from like the parental control of her mm-hmm. dad. That's also very, very true. That's a also, great point. Does her dad hook her up with like the swankiest dorm? Yeah, what is up with the dorms in this college? Because mine was essentially a glorified closet. <laughs> yeah, like I, I visited a friend of mine in Boston a few years ago and I like crashed in their dorm for the couple nights that I was there. And we, first of all, shared a twin bed. Oh, yeah, you get those XL with, twins, which are I'm, not XL. I'm too big for that. But it was like three beds wide. There was two beds on each side and then room for a bed in the middle if there would have been one. Yep. And that was the distance yep. of it. You get all you get that small little hallway pass. It's like the uh the, the dorm that you keep seeing in Happy Death Day is about the size of a proper dorm. Mm-hmm. And incidentally, uh the the sour attitude of Becca is kind of similar to Tree mm-hmm. in Happy Death Day. And oh my god, I love her. Oh yeah. Uh I don't love Becca as much, but she's a very similar flavor mm-hmm. of a of a character. Something that I really like about Becca is that everything tells me I should not like her mm-hmm. because I think that she's a little abrasive. I think she's a little condescending, a little bit pretentious as well. Oh, she's very pretentious. Big, not like most she girls' wants, energy. What she really wants to do is she wants to DJ the college radio station. Right. So, mm, like, mostly so she can play her own stuff. I mean... Yeah, honey, shoot higher. Like, let's have some better aspirations than this. <laughs> but at the same time... I kind of love Becca because I think if I hung out with somebody like her, I like I could be friends with Becca. Like she would be that friend that I would be like, I mean, she's a little whatever, but like she's fun to be around. She's a little pretentious, but she's like the kind of disaffected fuck you attitude of like a Daria. Yeah. So like I, I can I can party with that. Exactly. I think the only issue that we would have is I would definitely be the person that's like, what do you mean movies don't make you emotional? Yeah, like, you would you absolutely mean? be that person. <laughs> yeah, I, I would 100%. I would turn her into a convert. That's what would happen. Like, that would be my mission. You would force her to watch movies? Yes. Would you also force her to join an acapella group? I wouldn't force her to join an acapella group. And to be fair, she doesn't get forced to join the acapella group. Mm, a little she, bit. She gets enthusiastically encouraged by Britney Snow. <laughs> Yeah, who uh, invades her shower stall when they are both naked. Yeah. And just the utter confidence that she has that she she doesn't even cover herself up. Yeah. Becca's just like, ah, get out. And she's just like, this is me. (laughs) Yeah. So, okay, let's, let's, since we're already kind of there, let's go into Brittany Snow's character. Uh, Chloe, what do you make of Chloe? Boy, she is plucky, huh? She sure is. And I love when Brittany Snow gets to be plucky characters. We see that in John Tucker Must Die. Um, she even brings a little bit of a plucky energy to her more genre fair, like Would You Rather or even the Prom Night remake. Mm-hmm. There's just something about Britney Snow that is really infectious and likable, uh-huh. even though like part of me feels like somebody who had that type of energy, I would not want to be around because it's too much for me. But she definitely kind of has that golden retriever energy that I think we reserve for a lot of himbos. Like I think yeah. Britney, I think Britney Snow's, I think Chloe's a himbo. Like I she's see a lady that. himbo. Which she, she seems exhausting, but no, I I agree. The golden retriever energy is absolutely the way to describe her. Yeah, because like she's not so much of like like a bimbo archetype. Like mm-hmm. she's not there. It very much is like she's a human puppy, and yes. she's just very excited and really passionate, and you know misses out on some social cues and is just happy to be there. 
honestly, and we talked earlier about like, oh, we've only done like the prom and stuff in musicals. And I was like, you know, honestly, she's got the energy of someone who attended High School Musical. Yeah. yeah which yeah. we forgot to mention because it was forever ago. It was <laughs> yeah. episode four. But yeah, she feels like one of those, especially about how enthusiastic she is about the acapella group. Mm-hmm. So I don't hate her. I'm just like a little, 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 little whoa, calm down about her. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Something that really gets under my skin, though, with her, and it's something that gets under my skin through the entirety of the trilogy, is that Chloe is so clearly coded as being queer, and they just don't let it happen. Oh, do they? Obviously, I haven't seen it. Spoiler alert, they don't let it happen. I haven't seen the sequels. I know nothing about the other movies. It just sucks, because especially when... I remember being on Tumblr when this movie came out, and there were so many people that were shipping Becca and Chloe. And I understand why it's there. Obviously, that shower scene's a big part of it. Yeah. But I think that that character would have been so much more fun. And it would have been a really cool way to show the different ways that women can be queer. I agree. I think that would be very nice. I, I would like for her to be queer, but I don't want her to be with Becca. I agree with you on that. Especially because I do like her her, her nice boy that yeah. is her love interest in this. He just he is also very uh, plucky, but not in so much of a, like an overwhelming high energy way. Yeah. He's just like, I'm just really passionate about acapella and movies and I just want to talk to you about like these things that I love. Now tell me about the things you love. I He's gotta, very inviting with his energy. I got to say Skylar Aston's Jesse, so Jesse's our character name. Mhm is one of the best, like, guys in a teen girl movie. I Usually agree. guys are these, like, one note, just totally flat characters, and they kind of suck. Jesse's pretty great. Yeah. I like him, which is why I'm like, yeah, I don't want I don't want those two to be together, because I like this relationship. <laughs> Honestly, I don't think Becca deserves Jesse. No, not at all. If She's, I'm be real. Maybe she does in later movies more. Maybe she earns him a little bit more, but, like... She's a she's a little too harsh to him. Yeah, he's genuinely trying and he also is really good about setting boundaries. He's not being super invasive. Like he's playful mm-hmm. with her at work, but he's very respectful of like, okay, no means no, we're we're done here. And I appreciate that about him. And he also puts her in her place. Like mm-hmm. when she's being an asshole to him, he calls it out and he was like, "Hey, you're being an asshole to me." I agree. But his biggest sin is that he's a treble maker, mm. which is also a great name for an acapella group. It really is. It's fantastic. <laughs> I think a lot about the uh, the line in Bob's Burgers where they're trying to name the Bob's Burgers one-time food truck, and Linda's like, the cat burglars, and Louise just goes, <laughs> we're not an improv group, and that lives rent-free in my head whenever I see pun names for like music groups or comedy or whatever. So yes, the troublemakers. Like Rockapella? Yes. Oh, I loved Rockapella when I was a kid. awesome. Holy shit. <laughs> if you do not know what Rockapella is, um, first off, go look up Where in the World is Carmen San Diego's theme song, because uh-huh. Rockapella crushes it. But yes, they also do other really good arrangements. Yes, they do. <laughs> I listen to Rockapella nonstop as I was a kid. Thank you for bringing that up because you just like unlocked a core memory. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, I fucking love Rockabella. <laughs> um, but yeah, you have, you know, the 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 troublemakers who are the 
antagonists, but like it's not their fault that they're antagonists. I mean, it's 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 Adam Devine's fault. Yeah, Adam Devine he's the is, worst. It is an antagonist, but he's very good at playing this like charming dickhead role. He is, and he's he's probably a douche in real life. I honestly don't know. Like he just gives off like douchey bro energy because he's so good at this character in every movie where he plays pretty much the exact same character. Yes. Bumper in this movie. First off, Bumper, Bumper come on. Yep. But Bumper in this movie has a lot of the same energy as his character in The Final Girls. Yes, and precisely. And that's very concerning considering his character in The Final Girls is supposed to be the archetype of an asshole in an 80s movie. Yes. <laughs> and he's just playing that same character. He does do a really good job, which makes me secretly hope he's one of those actors that's like nothing like how he plays on TV. Yeah. And that he's really like subdued and calm, but I, I don't think he is. I don't think so either, but I, I would love that. That'd be very fun. Good luck out there. Seriously, you girls are awesome. We horrible. I hate you. Kill yourselves. Girl power. Sisters before misters. Bumper's so good that he kind of pieces out before the final showdown in this movie. Mm-hmm. And then the troublemakers are a little boring. Yeah, I agree with you. Like, they lose their like star-making frontman. They lose that bad boy edge, and then they bring in this like dorky magic kid who's very talented, but he's not Bumper. Well, so here's the thing. Bumper is not the strongest vocally, but he's very charismatic. And Ben Platt as Benji, just nerdy magic boy with mm-hmm. the voice of an angel, because Ben Platt can sing his ass off. Yeah. And the sound is beautiful, but it doesn't have that just oomph that goes with it. It doesn't have that 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 edge. Like, that's yeah. the thing. Like, they're billed as, like, the bad boys of acapella. Right. And without <laughs> Which, that hedge. Yes, I know. Just Let me just say that sentence one more time. The bad boys of acapella. Yes. It feels, okay. it feels like, honestly, like a Christopher Guest movie, especially with, like, the commentators. Oh, my God, yes. We'll dive into them in a bit. But, uh, yes. <laughs> but speaking of not being the strongest singer, but just oozing charisma, mm-hmm. Fat Amy. Look. 2012 was the year of Rebel Wilson. And I'll fully admit that coming back and re-watching it, it feels kind of stale because the performance of Fat Amy is just that shtick that they stapled to her forehead after this movie moving forward. Uh-huh. Like up until Honestly, this... just a lot of fat actresses in general. Melissa McCarthy as well. Yeah, it's Hollywood has such a problem with with fat actors. And up until this point. Rebel Wilson was well known for doing, you know, TV series in Australia. And then she had kind of a a bit role in Bridesmaids. She's like the roommate sister and Mm -hmm. people loved her. She's one of like the fun like standouts in that. And she did one other movie that year that not a lot of people saw. And then in 2012, she did six movies. Mm -hmm. Just fucking exploded that year. And this character that she plays of just being abrasive and you know, tell it like it is comedy and very kind of vulgar. That became her thing mm-hmm. that she has since kind of hammered into the ground, which I don't blame her for. Like, that's just... Make your money. You got to make your money and that's what people want you to do and that's mm-hmm. what she's going to do. And she's definitely the counter to Bumper in the Barden Bellas. Yeah, for sure. I have to say, though, uh, speaking of the Barden Bellas as a name... The amount of times that they say Akka in front of everything and they're not named the Akka Bellas 
is a fucking crime. <laughs> what a missed opportunity. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of saying Akka in front of everything, we got to talk about who, in all honesty, is probably my favorite character in this movie. Really? And it's not because like I She's identify not with her no. or that I like her by any stretch of the imagination. But Anna Camp's Aubrey is a master class in camp performance. God damn, I love this woman. She's so much. Anna she, Camp- she looks like she's about to have an aneurysm from just being high strung the entire film. I'm So first off, I'm obsessed with Anna Camp. Okay. I think that she is so goddamn funny. And this character is very much the same character that she plays in Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, where she's just the evil waspy nemesis of Jane Krakowski Mm -hmm. because Anna Camp has this way of being able to hold her face and deliver lines where she just looks so fucking condescending. Mm -hmm. It's truly an art form. And I love the fact that this character is very much stuck in tradition to the point where if you change anything, she short circuits Mm-hmm. I love that our introduction to her is that she throws up. Just exorcist levels of projectile yeah, vomiting. Yeah, just pukes all over everybody. And then, of course, that gets to come back later on in the film. I love it when movies allow beautiful comedic women to be gross. Yeah. Big fan. Yeah. And I feel like... A lot of the comedy in this movie, like we mentioned it a little bit earlier in terms of like films that Rebel Wilson's been in. I feel like a lot of the comedy in this movie is trying to sort of follow the bridesmaids formula. Mm -hmm. This movie has big Tina Fey energy. Mm -hmm. I think, I think when, where we are in kind of this early aughts to mid aughts period Everyone is still kind of riding high on the success of something like Mean Girls Mm -hmm. and trying to capture that in a bottle again. You can't capture lightning in a bottle. Yeah, you can't. I mean, you can still produce good teen movies. We've covered other ones on this show. But this era is definitely a, a strange period where I feel like teen movies are trying to be more adult almost, which this is like a college age film. Mm -hmm. But it's definitely not catering towards teens, but it definitely was most popular with like uh, white high school girls, I think. Yes. So you don't have to whisper that. That's not a secret. This this is this isn't a secret. It's more of just like a yeah, that's how it is. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a that's a a, a big true statement that I think uh, cannot be overstated. No, by any stretch of the imagination. No. This movie is definitely very, very white. Um, there are characters of color, for sure, but, but they are thrown to the sidelines, number one, or they are given not-so-great caricatures of their identities that are super problematic. Mm-hmm. I originally wanted to save this conversation for the end, but we're already here. We might, we're here. We might well buy a t-shirt. <laughs> so the biggest complaint that I have about Rebel Wilson's character is a lot of her jokes are just straight up casual racism and casual xenophobia. And anti-Semitism. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's like, what does she say? Like, shalom? That's not a real word or something like that. Like, when you first meet her and it's it's almost like edgelord humor, 
like for the viewer, it's edgelord humor, but for her, I I don't know. I've I've talked to people over the last ten years who are like, no, you can make Jewish jokes. Like no one's actually hates Jewish people anymore. And uh, yes, as we have learned quite extensively over the last four years. Can you not see that, yes, there are people who still very much hate Jewish people? Yeah, this the introduction that we have to her character is we get the iconic Fat Amy line of, you call yourself Fat Amy, yeah, so twig bitches like you don't say behind my back. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Love that. You know, way to reclaim a word that so many people weaponize. But then immediately, you know, she's walking with Becca through this, like you know, fair for all the extracurriculars. And it's like the DJ booth. And it's like, oh, DJ booth. Oh, no, it's deaf Jews. And she makes fun of not only their deafness, but also their Judaism. Mm. So you're getting like ableism and anti-Semitism right off the bat. Here's the thing. It starts in that scene. And I go, okay, we moved on. And then she does it again later. Yeah, she does it again later where she has like the the high top fountain haircut is or hairstyle is the only way that I can think about it. And someone's like, oh, that's a cute hairstyle or what is it? And she's like, oh, I call it the Orthodox Jew. And it's like, what the fuck? Mm -hmm. It's just so there and then there's also casual it's so casual just just throw that out there just lackadaisley like whoops and the thing that i think that makes it so frustrating and this is just you know scratching the surface of the type of just casual offensive comedy that exists in this there's some really fucked up shit about predatory lesbians in this movie. Oh, yeah. Because they paint the entirety of Cynthia Rose's character as a predatory lesbian to the point where even when she's not speaking, she's shown in the background like trying to grope people. It's so gross. There's a scene where all hell breaks loose as they fall apart before the kind of the rousing halftime speech Mm -hmm. of the movie where beck comes back and has to kind of like get everyone together and whip your shit into shape or whatever and she's like fondling some girl's ass while she's blowing a rape whistle yeah like that is just a thing and it's like ha 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 we're gonna make fun of rape and predatory lesbians at the the same time and the fact that she's like the only prominent black character in the movie yeah And this is where my biggest problem comes with this brand of comedy, specifically at this time period. Mm -hmm. Because when we look at films like Sixteen Candles, this is the easiest example to use. Like, that's the forever barometer of a punching bag, I think, with this subgenre. You have the racism of a character like Long Duck Dong that we've talked about extensively. And that was happening in the 80s where that sort of comedy was super commonplace. Mm -hmm. But it also greatly impacts the storyline. Like if those racist comedy marks don't exist, then essentially that character does not exist. Mm -hmm. So that changes the story. That doesn't excuse it in any way, shape, or form. But that racism... There's an impact. Yeah, the racism is embedded in the story. Like it's part of the story. Yes, The racism and the xenophobia and the homophobia and the misogyny and the anti-Semitism and all of that shit that exists in Pitch Perfect doesn't need to be there. There's no reason for it. It does not affect the story in the slightest. It's just a punchline. It's just a punchline. You can change it to literally any other joke and the movie does not change. You take out the racism of Sixteen Candles, you have an entirely different movie. You take out these awful lines that you've fed to Rebel Wilson because apparently the fat girl has to be the one that's crude and also like fucking evil. Mm. What? Brainworms. Brainworms. We haven't even talked about Lily yet. And here's the thing. If you watch the House Bunny 
you also have a character named Lily who doesn't speak. Mm-hmm. And in this movie, it's a... Uh, uh, there, there's a lot of stereotypes in play for this Lily. Yes. So Haname Lee as Lily is one of the best like comedic performances because the oh, whole... Oh, don't get me wrong. I love her very like psychotic Aubrey Plaza style lines. Yes, because the, the entire gimmick is that you can't hear her. Like she... Speaks. I wouldn't know what she was saying if we didn't have subtitles. Yeah, on. she speaks barely above a whisper. Yeah. And that's a really funny character quirk in a movie where it's about music and singing and mm-hmm. you have to project. But what you fall into when you have that characterization associated with an Asian character mm-hmm. is that you're now perpetuating this like docile, silent Asian character. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how she she feels about this personally. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. But I do know that in Pitch Perfect 2, there is one of these like throwaway lines where she talks about how she sleeps hanging upside down like a bat and she's always ready for action. And it's definitely read as like a ninja joke. And cool. that's also, you know, not cool. cool. There was a lot more writing about Pitch Perfect 2 and its problematic racism. So the thing is, like, this is a through line throughout the the trilogy. Yeah, Pitch Perfect 2 was way more successful than this one. Yeah. And that, I know that for sure. And, like, this was not a not successful film. Mm-hmm. It did well for itself. Just Pitch Perfect 2 did dummy well. Yeah, because people loved Pitch Perfect 1. And I understand why. Like, it's a fun fucking movie. Most of the time. But when you look back, it's so distracting how aggressively in your face this particular brand of just cringe comedy is. Yeah, for sure. And there's nothing intelligent or meta about it. Like, they're not making any kind of commentary. It's just... It's just straight up racism. Yes, <laughs> that's that's what it is. Like, we've had a discussion um, fairly recently about, like, South Park and, you know, the overall legacy of how it was praised by a lot of groups for making fun of everyone, especially mm-hmm. because there was usually a point to it. There was, like, a moral or there was some sort of, like, greater point being told by it. That doesn't exist here. There's nothing smart about what they're doing with their racism. Yeah. And I think that's the most frustrating thing about it. That it very, very heavily comes across as like white feminism. Mm -hmm. Like this is an extremely suburban white girl feminist film. That's like, oh, it's so fun and silly. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And then they don't even think about like how bad this is. Yeah. It, I don't, it never crossed the minds of the people writing it because it's, it's those, those privilege blinders that you have on where you may not intentionally trying to cause harm, but you are so blinded by your own privilege that you can't see outside of yourself to realize why this might be an issue. Yeah, I feel people. like they're they're really like one step away from being like, let's go to the Home Depot and get some guys to help us build the stage for our acapella performance. What's wrong? We just need some people to help. Yeah. Like, that's about how close they're getting to just absent-mindedly doing this. Yeah, it's... And I think we see it most prominently outside of Rebel Wilson with the commentary. And don't get me wrong, I fully understand that that is the joke. The joke is that these are these out-of-touch, like, ridiculously offensive commentators. Mm -hmm. I get that. But it also doesn't work in terms of a juxtaposition when Fat Amy is saying things equally as offensive as they are. Yes, that's... Oh, God, thank you for saying that, because I was not able to articulate that mm-hmm. when we were thinking it, when we were watching it, because 
I love uh, Elizabeth Banks and this other man whose name I never remember. That's fine. <laughs> I think they are so funny because they're like, stuffy, uh, almost game show host type characters. Oh, yeah. And you think about like the game show because obviously Elizabeth Banks is just comedic gold. Like she's she's great. Yes. But you think about um, John Michael Higgins, who's... That, that's him. Yeah. Yes. I love him and everything he is because he's good at being that type of character. Yes. And he's very much like completely enveloping when you look at like old episodes of the dating game or family feud yes. or whatever. That's and just how just, he feels like he lives. Yeah. These just smarmy game show hosts that clearly made all of their female contestants super fucking uncomfortable. Uh-huh. Like that's the energy he's bringing. I understand that joke and that's super funny to me. Uh-huh. But that character... It, it doesn't work when some of the protagonists are equally as offensive. It doesn't contrast with the world. No. It, it's in it's in line with the world. Yes. It's, oh God, it's so frustrating. And it kills me because some of those lines are so funny. And it's, it's the delivery that really, really makes it. Because yes. they definitely have the... Uh, Like the same energy as the commentators of the parade in In Jingle Jingle All the Way. Way. That's exactly what I was thinking. (laughs) Yeah, it's very much that like, let's get back to this. And then like tapping your paper. And then they click their paper paper in unison. (laughs) Yes. Yes. It's very much that. Like the the one line that Elizabeth Banks has that always gets me is, nothing makes a woman feel more like a girl than a man who sings like a boy. Like that shit kills me. It's great writing. It's such good writing. Because you think about every like pop male superstar up until this point, they're all people who sing as high as possible and mm-hmm. have these really tight falsetto voices. They're singing like choir boys. Yes, this is a post-Justin Bieber world. Yes. Oh, my God. So, yeah, that line's so fucking funny. Oh, my God. And I don't know. It's weird because it's trying to play both sides because at the end, he says some like wild shit and... Elizabeth Banks's Gail is finally like, you're a misogynist and I hate everything, like whatever the line is, but it's very much her addressing how bad he is mm-hmm. and her ad- admitting that like she kind of has to play along with this in order to like keep her job. Yeah. Like it's great commentary on the absolute like garbage that women are put through in order to like keep their jobs or maintain their employment. I love that. But it doesn't work. It's distracting. Yes. It's so distracting. And it's frustrating how distracting it is because I really liked this movie when it first came out. And again, this is me having my own privilege blinders. I remembered that there were jokes in this movie that didn't age well or like they, they didn't land with me at the time. But I think I was too swept up in like fun acapella and like how silly this movie is for it to really stick with me. But upon rewatch... And, you know, not being in college anymore, Mm -hmm. it's so prominent. (laughs) I agree. But here's where I ask you a question, because we always talk all the time about authenticity. Mm -hmm. Is it inauthentic to have these moments in an extremely white, feminine movie? No, it's not inauthentic. Because the unfortunate reality is, as somebody who did swing choir and did theater and did everything you can under the sun in terms of musical performance Mm -hmm. alongside wealthy white girls whose parents had them in voice classes since birth and who went to prestigious academies and conservatories. Mm -hmm. This is exactly how they talk. Yes, but here's kind of my part two of that. 
Is that on purpose? I, I don't know. That's I, a really good question. I don't feel like it is. I and I think, think that's where the biggest stumble is. Yeah, I don't think that it was on purpose. I think this was definitely catering to that brand of comedy at the end of the early aughts and into the 2010s. Mm-hmm. Like, because that's very much this, this was that brand of humor mm-hmm. that was really, really popular because it became like this internet thing and people were like out trying to out offend each other nonstop like that's just what it was i think this is almost the tail end like this this feels like around the period where we got our last hurrah of like people regularly and commonly trying to be like extra edgelord yeah i think that's gone underground since this and this was around the tipping point where people started going you know maybe you shouldn't try to be like an edgelord troll shithead all the time yeah, we talk about how the time period between like 2008 to about 2010, 2011 mm-hmm. is the peak of just like we talk about like the Free Britney movement. Like that is the mm-hmm. peak of when we were just mercilessly terrible to people. Yeah. I mean, we've been rewatching a lot of like dumb stuff on Pluto TV lately because Pluto. Pluto's an MVP. P- Pluto TV. Truly the MVP of the pandemic. Yes. But they have a station that is all of the old dating shows on MTV that are from like the 2000s. From when we were in high school to when you were in college. Yes. And we were watching uh, Parental Control. So for those who don't know, Parental Control is parents hate their child's partner and they pick people for them to go on, you know, blind dates with. And then at the end of both of the dates, they choose, like, do they want to be with this new person their parents set them up with or with their current partner? Mm-hmm. And some episodes are like, we hate our daughter's boyfriend. He's an asshole. He burps. He burps and he's gross and he, he plays b- too much Halo. Yeah, like, whatever. Okay. And then we were watching this one episode and these parents were like, we hate our son's girlfriend. She speaks Spanish. We're in America. <laughs> right? And we're sitting there like, what the fuck? And mind you, this followed up an episode where it was like a really kind of nice gay episode where it was yeah. like a bunch of women. And I was like, oh, that's right. Like these dating shows were like weirdly affirming for gay kids because they were open to like bi people, gay, mm-hmm. lesbian, straight. Just everybody had an opportunity on this show. And so we were like, wow, parental control was like really, really locking it down in a time no one else was. And then that next episode happened and we went, oh! <laughs> right. It was one of these things where like some of these episodes, they're like, they steal money and they punch the elderly. And then it's like, you're putting that on the same level of our son's girlfriend is foreign? Like, yes. what the fuck? But that's where something about like Pitch Perfect gets really frustrating because it's so recent that when I watch it, I'm like, this is unexcusable. Like, this is totally unacceptable. But then I have to remind myself of like, we were still totally normalizing and accepting and even in some instances encouraging this brand of humor in 2012. And that's why when I did my research trying to find like essays on this, I found a bunch of essays on Pitch Perfect 2, which came out in 2015, Mm -hmm. and not a lot about Pitch Perfect 1. So it seems like there was that three-year window between 2012 and 2015 where I think a lot of us finally were like, no, this is fucked. Like, we, we need to do something about this. And I think it's because in that time, that's when things like Twitter really started getting mainstream and we started having these really tough conversations. I think you also get uh, aggressively liberal Tumblr around this time as well. Yes. So younger people definitely stop entertaining these concepts. 
I do want to talk to you uh, as a little bit of a detour, but still on the topic about something we were going into earlier. Because my understanding of something like Glee is that Glee has a lot of issues with its characterization of non-straight white characters, where their character is pretty much defined by whatever makes them different and then doesn't tend to go much deeper than that. Yes. Again, this this movie's following Glee. Yeah, okay. That's that's a very good point. I'm not and saying it's a good thing, but I'm saying, hey, this tracks. Right. Exactly. And I think that's the important discussion to have when talking about a movie like Pitch Perfect or honestly a lot of the topics that we cover where acknowledging the accuracy or understanding why something happened is not advocating for it. Correct. Like, this isn't giving this movie a pass. It's just saying, no, I see what was going on here, and I understand and acknowledge what was going on. Doesn't make it right. Mm -hmm. And I I have to admit, this rewatch of Pitch Perfect really did sour me on it a Mm -hmm. lot, because I remember this movie being really fun. I am such a sucker for acapella medleys. I fucking love acapella music. I love mashups. I love a lot of what this movie is doing musically. Uh-huh. I also love the... I love anything that's going to shit on performing arts, especially <laughs> yeah. competitive performing arts, because that's a world that I come from. So you get it. So I get it, yeah. One of my favorite lines in any movie about this sort of thing is in the horror movie musical Stage Fright where a girl doesn't get the part and her friend is trying to console her. And she goes, you don't understand. You're just an alto. And like that shit kills me. That's so funny. Uh And there's a lot of stuff like that that exists in this movie that, you know, really speaks to me and I like. But it's so hard to like this movie when its comedy is in such conflict with my moral compass. Uh Uh-huh. No, I totally understand that. I do want to kind of ask you a little bit something about, like, the world of of parody. We'll say that. Okay. So I mentioned, like, Christopher Guest earlier. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, the concept of a mockumentary or even, like, a a sort of mock sports movie. Like, something like maybe even Dodgeball. Yeah. I was thinking this has... This movie has big Dodgeball energy. Yeah. And is Dodgeball better aged than this? Probably. I mean, there's definitely some aspects of Dodgeball that are not super kosher. No, not at all. But... But consistently oh i would have to do a rewatch i don't know me too i haven't seen dodgeball in a while but that that might be a dicey question (laughs) i haven't watched dodgeball i think since the time it almost killed my dad on an airplane oh my god please tell that story that story is amazing (laughs) i I might have told this on the show before i don't know but uh my dad is like terrified of flying like horrified of flying Uh so we have to like kind of get him sauced up before we take him anywhere on an airplane Mm -hmm. and was one of the last times my dad and I were on a flight and I, for whatever reason, was like, what DVD should I bring? Dodgeball. You got to find movies that I know my dad's going to yeah, something be dumb. okay with. Something dumb. My dad likes dumb humor. So we're watching Dodgeball and it's the scene where it's like the 1950s, like how to play Dodgeball info <laughs> commercial, yes. like with lesson. Patches O'Houlihan. Patches O'Houlihan. And there's a moment where it's like, you know, talking about the strategy of dodgeball and it's like you should always aim for the weaker opponents like young winston here and this kid just gets beamed in the face uh-huh. with a dodgeball and isn't he wearing glasses he he's just wearing gets obliterated. glasses he just gets Ugh. obliterated and the thing is like it's a funny gag like don't get it's funny and yeah. it definitely gives me like a <laughs> that's funny 
it broke my father. Yep. He, Probably because he wasn't expecting it he and was he was drunk. not expecting it. He was definitely drunk. And he is so stressed out from being on this airplane that it just, that combination, perfect storm. He started laughing and he's crying laughing. And he's doing that dad thing where they're laughing so hard that it turns into like... <laughs> <laughs> he's just fucking dying and i'm trying to like get him back to order and he can't get back to order and then the stewardess is like um excuse me i'm sorry flight attendant stewardess is an antiquated term but <laughs> she's like excuse me sir, are you are you okay do you need help and he can't make words because he's laughing and crying and i'm trying to explain it and i can't do it because i'm laughing at him because he's just fallen apart and when he finally gets back to reality we would go like two minutes and then I could tell he would think about it again and he would start laughing again. Uh-huh. <laughs> he, he, yeah, uh, we almost got kicked off a fucking airplane because of dodgeball. <laughs> amazing. I love it. Speaking, <laughs> speaking of flight attendants, the Bella's outfits, they were back on the movie. Oh my God. But, yes. <laughs> but I do want to talk to you about actual like parodies and stuff like that. Since you're from this world, um, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by the idea of parody versus mockery because there is mm-hmm. definitely like a understanding your source material that goes into making a good proper parody mm-hmm. because like we make fun of the things that we love the most oh yeah you know how much do i say something like oh my god i love this it's so stupid it's incredible yes like that's that's <laughs> how i live my life so someone who's from like a performing arts background who's done a lot of stuff similar to this how much does this resonate to the actual like vibe and experience of being in an acapella group oh this is very much like this is competitive college music to a t uh-huh what's funny is that this is actually a lot closer to my experience that i had um so like i did i did swing choir and like that was you know a whole fun thing let's choreograph song and dance and do that like that was fun mm-hmm. but this reminded me a lot of competitive college improv especially when they're at the regional tournament and there's the graduates in their like Letterman sweaters with Donald's face. Oh my on god! Like I love three of the four people in that group <laughs> so much. And then there's like that other guy. <laughs> <laughs> but like that was just oh that that got me in in really deep because I remember us being at like this improv showcase thing at a different school, and yeah, they're like graduates who went on and didn't do anything else. They get else. the band back together. They were all there like playing improv games in the lobby and we were like, shut the fuck up. Like, go away. <laughs> what are you doing here? Oh, I love that. They're, they're like, like kind of like street performers. They're yeah, busking. Kind of, but it also is like that weird thing where it's like, you graduated, go home. So it's a it's a McConaughey and Dazed and Confused kind of yeah, thing. Yeah. But they're not trying to skeeve on people. Yeah. It's just, it's somehow sadder. It's, it's so much sadder, especially when you're like, buy our our mixtape like it's just oh, oh man it's all, it's rough that's bad so like did, did you have the uh showdowns in a drained pool no no we did not have showdowns in a, in a drained pool but i absolutely can say riff-offs became a thing after this movie oh yeah fortunately not with the people that i hung out with in college because <laughs> we went that's fucking dumb but there were definitely like baby freshmen, like musical theater majors, that that was a thing they would do at parties. And we're like, and this is where we go outside and like smoke weed because uh, I don't have the patience for this shit. There are some musical theater people who are a little too musical theatery who I could absolutely see being the worst people to be <laughs> stuck in a room with when they rip off. 
It's it's very similar in practice to me of like when musical theater kids go to karaoke bars. Oh God! No. When like that one really beautiful soprano girl just shows up and is like, "I'm gonna sing the Little Mermaid." The Little Mermaid, always and you're just the like, fucking Little Mermaid. Please go home. Like, no, thank you. Or and I there's will nothing say, fun about showing off. No, there's nothing there's fun no about fun that. about that for anyone else in the room. Because here's the thing, like. I know that I have a very loud, belty voice. Mm-hmm. I could absolutely go in there and tear up some like musical theater standard that I know they have. Go do, book. and I'm telling you. Right. I could. I'm not gonna, because also, white, let's just not do that. <laughs> but I know that I could do that. But instead of doing that, because that's not fun for other people, I'm going to sing Bonnie Tyler. I'm going to sing The Darkness. I'm going to sing something that people can like rock out and have fun to. I'm not going to go up there and sing fucking Suddenly Seymour. Like, don't be that person. I I would sing Suddenly Seymour with you. But basically, you just listed stuff that was on our wedding playlist. I know. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I think that Pitch Perfect does a really, really good job of you know, parroting and poking fun at this world because it is ridiculous and it is very dumb. Mm-hmm. As much as I love it, like looking at it objectively, the people who take this stuff like super seriously, like calm down. Like I, I hate to use the the quote from from Superbad, but like it's soccer, Greg. Like chill out. <laughs> <laughs> it's that's that's just how I feel about it, and I think that's probably why I have such an affinity for this movie and the things that are so just awful about it didn't stick with me. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. That's, that's not completely true. It stuck with me. It's not like I forgot that it wasn't there. I don't think I realized how just prominent it is Mm -hmm. until this rewatch. Yeah, that's, that makes sense. I have notes. What? Oh my God. I found out this morning. What are notes? Vocal nodules. The rubbing together of your vocal cords at above average rates without proper lubrication. They sit on your windpipe and they crush your dreams. Isn't that painful? Why would you keep performing? Because I love to sing. Yeah, it's like when my lady doctor told me not to have sex for six weeks, and I did it anyway. You should really listen to your doctor. Something else that I want to discuss that I think this movie does really well is this idea of having a found or chosen family, which I think is is inherently queer. But we have the Bellas who, as we know from the audition scene, a lot of them are kind of outcasts. Mm-hmm. They don't really have anywhere to belong, and they all sort of get shoved together into this group. And obviously at first we have Aubrey who is not thrilled about it because they don't follow or fit the idea that she has in her head Mm -hmm. and there's even jokes made about it the first time they all perform together from the commentators about how like this doesn't look like the usual Bellas but I think there's something really beautiful about that and having all of these varied characters come together and you know exist in harmony so to speak Um, (laughs) so I'm curious uh if you have any thoughts or feelings about this No, I totally understand this. When I was in high school, like my goal was kind of like, I'm going to be in a band. I want to get in a band and we'll make music. It'll be so cool. Going to bring back the the rock and roll music of the darkness and the libertines, which are not totally related in any way. They've done nothing alike. But like I was like, guitar driven rock, we're going to do it. And one of the big reasons I wanted to get into a band was to make something because I thought, you know, that'd be cool. But also because I wanted to get out of my hometown. I wanted an excuse to like tour and not be there. 
And also the idea of being in a band with people was really appealing because it's like, okay, cool. I have people that I can be around and interact with that aren't my family. Like we form our own unit. We're like, Mm -hmm. you know, we're all in this together as it were. (laughs) I've taught you so well. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks. <laughs> and and I, I agree with you on that. And I think that's why when they do have the the big speech after, you know, there's the, the second puke scene and they all talk about like, well, what's something that I don't know about you? Like I've been spending all this time with you all, but I don't think we actually know each other. And I love that Becca's character admits I was that person who didn't have a lot of girl friends Mm -hmm. because I think there's this really negative thing that we perpetuate with girls of sort of this like scarcity mentality of like there's only enough room for one or there's only enough space for the few and it pins girls against each other from a Mm -hmm. very very young age and to see other girls as their competition or as their enemies well especially in a competition-based movie for sure so to have them all together and to have that acknowledgement, I think, is really powerful and isn't seen very often. So in regards to something really positive that this film is doing, I think that found family aspect is definitely it. Mm-hmm. So to sort of uh, wrap things out, though, I do have a question for you as somebody who is not from this world. No, not even close. But somebody who does love and know a lot about music. Sure. How do you feel about the music in this? I think the music is fun. I don't need to like own the Pitch Perfect soundtrack. But the Bellas are boring when they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Like you hate them for the right reason. And then the Treblemakers are so cool. Mm-hmm. Like in, in a dorky acapella kind of way. But like they're fun. They're mm-hmm. exciting. So the music elicits the right response from me. Mm-hmm. And here's a question. And actually I'm going to ask this probably every episode. What's the best song in this musical? Ooh. Because for me, I I can't help but feel like it's the final mashup performance that the Bellas perform. It is very, very good. Because also, the Trollmakers kind of brought a weak show to that final, to the finals. Mm-hmm. And yeah, maybe it's that Adam Devine wasn't there. But I, I'm, I'm going to say that, yes, they deserve to win in the finals, but also... It was not as stiff of a competition because <laughs> they didn't bring their A game. This is Sacapella Erasure. Oh, God. I love Sacapella. <laughs> and, like, I love that everyone's shitting on Sacapella because they think it's a gimmick and I think they're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing. I kind of do, too, because it has, like, this very Avenue Q thing about it where it's, like, people wearing all black and then, like, the puppets are supposed to be the ones you pay attention it's to. It's, like, Avenue Q or it's also, like, the uh, the vampire musical from Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Oh, yeah, like, It gives that energy. Musical. I want that. I want to see Sacapella. <laughs> <laughs> so... I can tell you what my favorite is, and I have to, like, take it apart. Okay. I love the ending of the riff-off when it turns into Oh, when into it turns into, yeah. I love that transition so much. I hate that white people are rapping. <laughs> like, Correct. If anyone else was performing it, I would be super stoked on it, but it's it starts with anarchetric rapping. And here's the thing. I failed to mention this earlier when we were talking about like what she had done up until this point. I did forget a very important role of hers only because 
not a lot of people have seen this movie unless you're someone who's super into like this brand of movie. Mm-hmm. Anna Kendrick is in camp, which is like... Which I know you love. I love camp a lot. And seeing her go from that movie to here, like I, I totally see it. But it is just so... It's always so uncomfortable whenever I see like white people, especially white people with like acapella, choir, or theater backgrounds trying to do hip-hop or R&B. Yeah. People who haven't conditioned themselves to rap come across as like a very like... I, I think of uh, what the old Donald Glover stand-up bit where it's like old hip-hop is like, and I went to the hat store and bought myself a hat. It's all <laughs> that kind of like goofy sounding same flow to all of them. And don't get me wrong, that No Diggity performance though, it is arranged really well for acapella. Like, the pieces flow really nicely, but fundamentally. <laughs> Going down, fade to black, speak the homies, got Abby collab creations, bump like acne, no doubt. I put it down, never slouch. As long as my credit could vouch a dog, couldn't catch me straight up. Tell me who can stop when Dre making moves, attracting honeys like a magnet, giving them orgasms with my mellow accent. Still moving the flavor with the homies Blackstreet and Teddy, the original rum shakers. Shorty, get down, good lord. Baby got them open all over town. Strictly bitch, you don't play around. Cover much ground. Got game by the pound. Getting paid is a forte. Each and every day to play away. I can't get her out of my mind. Oh, wow. Okay. if it's a tv show or if it was a movie i genuinely don't know where this is i'm just pulling something from my mind okay but there was something that i remember watching where there's this really really talented black singer and she's feeling like she can't do anything or she's never going to be good enough and she goes into an auditorium and sees three white girls singing dream girls Mm-hmm. And it is very much like, and we are dream girls, like very white. Yeah. And that's how a lot of the acapella stuff in this movie kind of sounds to me sometimes. Oh, yeah. And they like totally shit over like all women acapella groups in the commentary. Yes, they do. And I have I have mixed feelings about that because on one hand, it is not wholly inaccurate to say that like they usually don't have women acapella groups that can hit low notes. That is a true fact. There are a lot that don't. But there are plenty that do, and there are plenty that do it super, super well. Mm -hmm. Like when the sing-off happened, which was a Ben Folds reality show with acapella groups, is where we get like pentatonics comes from them. Mm -hmm. They had put a kind of like a super group together called Delilah that is one of the best all-female acapella groups I've ever heard. Like they're Mm -hmm. so fucking good. Um but I think more than anything, it's about song choice. Mm-hmm. And the choices that the Bellas make before Becca gets involved are all older songs that haven't been, you know, really hip for yes. 20 to 30 years. Mm-hmm. And the arrangements do nothing to really help them. It's like the Andrew sisters or something. It's very old timey sounding. The the Ace of Bass one, like it Ugh. became a tick. It's a TikTok meme now. People use that sound as a joke. Yeah. Of just the opening of like, whoa, 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 yeah. Just like, <laughs> oh my God, it's the worst. And this thing, I fucking love Ace of Bass. Mm-hmm. I love them. 
not so much their politics, but that's another story. But as far as musicians, I like Ace of Base. And the fact that that really cool like sound from I Saw the Sign mm-hmm. gets turned into whoa, whoa, whoa. Like that's some boring arrangement. Yes. Like add some sound effects to this. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so that's my frustration. But I also understand like that's part of it. That's part of the story because by the end of it, they are incorporating better technique for acapella. It's almost like bring it on. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Yeah, I agree with you. That And you know what else they have? Mm. Similarly to bring it on? Mm. They have fake made up words that are only relevant in that movie. Like, yeah. you have a toner for him is the same thing as, like, you're having cheer sex. Like, it's <laughs> the same thing. <laughs> oh, God, you're totally right. But speaking of uh, the sing-off, actually, so fun fact for anyone who does not know this, Ben Folds actually dropped an acapella album prior to doing the sing-off. Mm-hmm. It's an acapella arrangement featuring a lot of college acapella groups doing mm-hmm. his and Ben, like, his solo and Ben Folds five songs, and it's fucking awesome. Awesome. It is a really good album. I particularly like the arrangement of Not the Same and Magic. Any excuse <laughs> to talk about Ben Foltz because I love him and I wish he would drop albums because he hasn't for a while. <laughs> but we can't talk about the music of this movie without addressing the very large Anna Kendrick fronted elephant in the room. Are you talking is- about cops? I am talking about cups. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so what are your feelings on cups? Because I have a bevy of things to say about it. So what blew my mind about cups is kind of like when I found out that Baby Shark used to be like a Christian song sang at Sunday schools. When I learned that this is like a 1930s like folk song or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that blew my fucking mind. (laughs) Because I had no idea. And... What doubled my mind being blownism of this movie is like she auditions with cups and it's like 30 seconds, 40 seconds, mm-hmm. and then it's just done. And I go, Oh, is that it? Does it come back? And you go, No. I'm like, they made a <laughs> they made a pop hit out of that. Okay. A, an inescapable pop hit for like two years that made Anna Kendrick go, I apologize for cups. <laughs> So I learned cups as a child, mm-hmm. like the the actual motion of the cups. But I'm gonna I'm gonna share a little factoid with you that you may not be aware of. That's gonna make your brain hurt. Oh God! Obviously, Pitch Perfect came out in 2012. Mm-hmm. A few years later. Oh no! Two years later, to be exact. Kira Kazistev, uh-huh. who at the time was Miss New York. Okay. Performed cups for her talent at Miss America. Did did she win? She fucking won. Boo! And what makes it better is that she didn't do just cups because obviously you do your talent more than once. So she did the cup like percussion Mm -hmm. with a song I know you really love. I don't like this. Pharrell's happy. Ew. <laughs> Combining two of your least favorite things in the world, the fucking cup song and happy. Here's the thing. I don't hate cups. I got tired of cups. <laughs> like, remember when 
Adele's 21 came out, and then it didn't go away for like three years. Yes. I got Adele'd out, and I don't think I'm ever going to like fully recover and be able to enjoy listening to Adele ever again, Mm -hmm. because I was just done with her because of how big that first album was. That's how I am with Cups. And the thing is, Cups is a very good pop song with like the remix they released for a single. Mm -hmm. It's real good. It's Mm -hmm. real catchy. But also, (laughs) it was too much. And it was also just kind of done into the ground because it was something really easy for people to imitate. So there were hundreds of thousands of YouTube videos of just people doing Cups. And this was also when Vine is really big. Mm -hmm. One good thing, though, that does come out of Cups is there's that dude on Vine whose gimmick was having to do cups no matter what he had. Yes. So he would do it with glass or like full big pops, like big the gulps. big gulps, yeah. yeah. No, that was Shit's great. hilarious. I like that guy. See, here's the thing here. The, probably the year after the cups came out is when I met one of my oldest friends in the world, Felix. Mm-hmm. And Felix had a friend at the time. She was a a blonde white girl mm-hmm. who would just get bored and needed attention and would just do cups in the middle of people doing things. Like we're having a conversation or doing something and then she just decides, I'm going to do cups. If I want anyone to do cups, I want it to be that girl who's very, very stoked in the cup stacking video the one that Skrillex is sampled, sampled by Skrillex. <laughs> Yeah, that's the kind of cups I'm into, like, because that shit's really impressive. The cup stacking is one thing. Like, yes. That, sure, <laughs> give me that. Don't give me really attention-seeking, like, white girls who need to do cups in the middle of any social situation. And I'll fully admit, as any of our listeners who follow us on social media know, I know the cups routine. You do. And I busted it out with no rehearsal, basically. (laughs) It's one of those like dumb muscle memory things that just exists in the recesses of my brain. But I definitely got asked to do it by kids that I babysat, my mom, like to Mm -hmm. show to her friends. I am very guilty of having performed cups. I'm sorry, America. It's okay. (laughs) This is just part of American culture from the 2010s. Yes, the the age-old tradition of cups. But speaking of of tradition, let's let's bring this back (laughs) from our chicanery. (laughs) Tradition is kind of a big part of this movie. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I guess that kind of just makes sense with, like, the college life. Mm -hmm. Like, with Greek life or hazing or any kind of, like, social group in college. Like, tradition is a really, really big deal. Mm -hmm. And I think with... Aubrey in particular, she is so hyper obsessed with tradition to a really detrimental fault. Oh, totally. Like it is absolutely her toxic trait Mm -hmm. is that she is so streamlined on this is what works. This is how it's always been. This is how it needs to be. Very white feminism of her Mm -hmm. for sure. I feel like we've mentioned white feminism a lot. It's very (laughs) prominent in this film. Um, But thinking about the tradition of the competition, this makes perfect sense to me. Um, Growing up, there were a couple of baton groups that would rely on like similar routines year after year. Mm -hmm. There are definite like combinations that I would see from them every single time because like it's, it's time tested. We know that this works. So, you know, why, why Mm -hmm. try to do anything else? 
And I think that when it comes to competition, you know that you have to evolve with the times. Yeah. We, we know that. Like, it just has to happen. But nobody wants to be the first one to do it. Mm-hmm. They want to be the one that perfects it. So what they do is a lot of times you'll wait for somebody to, like, make a really bold choice and do something crazy that isn't, you know, polished yet. But, like, wow, they did something really interesting. Let's do the same thing next year, but let's do it better. Mm-hmm. That's what happens. And because the Barden Bellas haven't really ever branched out, they need somebody that's going to kind of, like, say, no, 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 let's take something that someone else is doing and let's do it our own way because that's essentially what Becca's doing is she's taking like the modern acapella sort of style of creating these medleys and these mashups and bringing it to them. Like mm-hmm. it needed to be brought to them because with Aubrey in charge, no way in hell was that going to change. Yeah. And I don't think anyone who does any sort of like performance or creative style art in any medium thinks that they're making a bad decision mm-hmm. at the time. Certainly when it comes to like, starting a new trend or trying to come up with this revolutionary new idea, either you're comfortable not doing that or everyone thinks that they've got the next hot idea and mm-hmm. not every idea is uh, is hot. Yeah, agreed. I think what we're seeing with the Bellas is more so a reliance on safe. Mm-hmm. Like if anyone has ever watched any RuPaul's Drag Race or America's Next Top Model or any of those types of shows, it's worse to be safe than to be bad. Because bad at least shows that you tried something. Didn't work, but you tried. That's what makes them so boring until they start jazzing things up a bit. Yeah, I... This is the worst transition to, like, this style of music, but in, like, the world of punk rock or any kind of alternative music... It's better to have a bad album than a boring album. Oh, for sure. I'll take a bad album over something that's pedestrian any day. Like when you think of something that's pedestrian or something that's boring or someone that's overstayed their welcome, like think about how like blah bands like Green Day have gotten at this point. Mm-hmm. That's basically what the Bellas are doing. They're, you, they're Green Day. You and I know better than anyone because we're wrestling fans. Yeah. The amount of people that they just keep carting out to doing their old shtick. Hulk that, Hogan? Oh, God. Like, put him in a home. Get him out of here. I love that they booed the shit out of him at WrestleMania. Well, it's because he's a racist. Like, I know. fuck him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but anyway. The time has come. Yes. Pitch Perfect is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, or a maybe? And are you writing anything on the card back? I'm really kind of, I don't know where to go with this one. So I think I'm just going to settle into a maybe on Pitch Perfect. Okay. Because it's a very fun movie. Mm-hmm. Like the arrangements are also like pleasant to listen to. I, I get the right response out of all of the music that I'm supposed to. Mm-hmm. I like the stuff that's exciting and I am put off by the stuff I'm supposed to get put off by. Mm-hmm. But also there's a lot of glaring and very distracting things about Pitch Perfect mm-hmm. 1. That said, I am curious to see where it would go for 2 and 3. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure we'll get to those eventually. <laughs> but I'm not totally put off from watching sequels because of it. Mm-hmm. So I'm feeling pretty strongly right in the middle because the good stuff's good. The bad stuff's bad. There you go. Well, fantastic. I think I think that's where I am too with it. Like, I can't make myself magically, like, go back and not have fondness for this movie. That's impossible. But I can definitely look at it with 
different eyes now and know like I think that a lot of the jokes like I'm gonna finish him like a cheesecake are hilarious and I will use them in real life the jokes that are anti-semitic I don't need <laughs> I they, should hope not. they can go the fuck away forever but if you would like to not go far away from us Ooh. Ooh, there are many get ways. Nice and close. <laughs> there are many ways that you can get nice and close with us. First one being we have a Patreon. Patreon.com backslash this ends at prom. You can also follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at this ends at prom. And friends, we have finally made it. We are doing a giveaway. Uh-huh. All you have to do is prom pose to us. In whatever way you see fit, put it on Twitter, put it on Instagram. You can do something as small as just writing us a cute note. If you want to go all out, go for it. But we will be giving away a shirt from Super Yaki, an amazing print from Aaron Illustration of Clueless that was donated by listener Sarah Evans, and whatever other goodies we feel like sending out. We got some cool stuff lined up. It's we got be, some cool stuff gonna, lined it's up. It's going to be cool. We plan on actually doing it for a random winner and our fave. Mm-hmm. So. so, you know. Double the goodness, double the prizes. So prom post to us today. We'll uh, choose a winner on May 16th. Cutoff date is May 15th, so get those in. Happy prom season. We didn't do the prom musical during prom season or the musical month. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. We make our own rules here. Yeah, sure. (laughs) And on the Patreon, we're also going to be doing teen boy musicals, so that's going to be fun too. Yeah, we are. It's going to be a delight. I'm very, very excited about it. Yeah. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BJ Colangelo. Harmony, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. And thank you as always to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use title for our theme song. Y'all fucking rule. We love you very, very much. Harmony, do you have a cool indie band for people to check out? I do. The group I'm going to go ahead and recommend to you all this week is a band called Hey, I Love You, but it's spelled... I-L-Y, not like actually I love you. It's a, you know, it's an acronym. I-L-Y. Yeah. They just dropped an album called Internet Breath. It was described to me by the people I saw sharing it before I found it as Nintendcore <laughs> slash like emo. I love that. And so it's like, yeah, that's stuff that I like. Let's listen to it. And we, I was making you listen to it in the car the other day when we were going to the grocery store. It was very fun. I like it a lot. Yeah. It's good melody. So a little screamo, a little like ambient synth. It's a lot of things. It's very good. I recommend it. Fantastic. Well, friends, that takes us out. So as always, save that last dance for us, and we will see you next time. Aka, bye! Bye! open book. I mean, for God's sake, you guys have got me fat, Amy. See, I guess I'm just not really living if I'm not being 100% honest. And my real name is Fat Patricia. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. 
To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.